0: I'm beginning a series for a few Sundays here on what exactly is the church that we're all a part of. What, what did God mean by creating and then calling us into the church? Point number one, the church is God's big, beautiful idea, birthed and blessed by Jesus Christ himself. So the really cool thing about God, anything that he creates, anything that he designs, anything that he births has lasting impact. So for 2,000 years, people have tried to destroy the church, stop the church, disengage the church. The church has existed, survived, and overcome. In fact, there were more Christians alive in 2023 than all of human history combined. We're living in the greatest outpouring of God's spirit the world's ever known. Over half of believers in the world today classify as charismatic or Pentecostal in their doctrines or belief. The Pentecostal move of God is going like a wildfire around the world. You're a part of something wonderful that's just beginning, the outpouring of God in the last days. But the church was created by Christ in Matthew 16. When Jesus said this in a dialogue with his disciples and Peter gave an answer that was rightly describing who Jesus was. It's amazing when we discover who God is, we also discover who we are. And Jesus said, I say unto you that you are Peter. His name previously, his legal birth name was Simon. And Jesus gives him a surname. Your name is Peter, Petros, a piece of a rock. And upon this rock, Petra, a larger rock, Jesus said, I will build my church. I was going to stop there and say, Jesus uses imperfect people like me to build the church. And his purpose is so powerful, it overcomes the imperfection of imperfect leaders. That's how strong his purpose is. So all of us have experienced some kind of hurt or failure in the church, but... It's important, you know, you don't give up on McDonald's because, because they forgot your French fry order in the drive through lane. You just drive home speaking in tongues or cussing depending on how spiritual you are. And so we don't want to give up on the church because we've had a bad experience with it. Amen? So that's just a part of the maturing of the church, the, the dynamic of human relationships. But Jesus said, I will build my church. And then he said this, and the gates... Of hell shall not prevail against it. The idea of the gates of hell is a little maybe out of sequence in our current kind of language culture, but the gates of hell, the Bible talks about gates as places of authority. So the authority structure of hell can't stop what I'm gonna do in the earth through my church. Jesus said the devil's best weapons can't stop my church. The devil's strongest demons can't stop my church. The devil's strongest strongholds can't stop my church. What I will build. So that's what Jesus said. The church is his idea. Now, the word he used for church is the Greek word, ecclesia. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. The very next verse, though, talks about the expansion of the understanding of the building of the church. And he said this, I give unto you, I will give unto you the keys to the kingdom of God. So the church is the place where God expands his kingdom to the authority invested in the believer. I will give unto you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Then he said this, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed or shall be loosed in heaven. So Jesus said, I give you permission to stop things that need to stop and to open things that need to open. The idea... The rabbinic idea of binding and loosing goes way back in uh, Hebrew tradition. Now Jesus really focused it and said, here's what it's for. I'm going to build my church. The devil can't stop it. And I'm going to give people keys to open cities, open regions, open nations, open generations. I don't care how wacky and crazy, demonic, and deceived this generation gets. They can't stop the church. They can't stop the keys. We have the keys to open hearts. We have the keys to heal lives. We have the keys to re- bring transformation. So, so never focus entirely on the negative things that are happening because God has a plan. He always does. And His church is a part of it. God doesn't, by the way, God doesn't have a plan B. Yeah, I'm done with the church. Well, I'm, listen, I apologize to every person in this room that's ever been hurt by a pastor. I apologize to you. Or a church leader. No matter what the hurt was, I apologize. I'm proud of you for overcoming that to make it the church. I really am. And so all of us have been through some excitement. I, I will say my horror story is probably better than yours. I wrote a whole book about it. But my whole my whole purpose is that when we get healed, God always brings us back to purpose. So God's not done with the church. The church is His bride, His body, His army, His temple. But we'll talk about that. That's what God looks at us like. So Jesus said, "I'm going to of So He uses the word ecclesia. So I put in your notes. You can get our notes online with our free app. Or you can or, um, look at them today on the screen. As an ecclesia was an assembly of citizens called out once. Ecclesia literally means called out once. A body of free citizens called together by a herald. The Romans used this word for a group of indigenous people they selected from each conquered province of the Roman Empire. These people were then sent back to Rome to sit at the feet of Caesar and the Senate in order to learn the laws, culture, and ways of Rome. After being immersed in Rome's society and culture, they were then sent back into the homelands they came from to help build the Roman culture there. So here's the idea. Rome would conquer a new region, and in that region they would handpick people from every part of society, for every part of culture, every part of the, the, the different areas of life, education, government, arts, athletics. They would pick people they saw as promising. They would take those people back to Rome, and at Rome they'd learn to think differently. Welcome to the church where we get our minds renewed with the word of God until our lives are transformed. And so when their minds had been renewed enough to think like Rome to think like Caesar, to think like the Senate, to think like the culture, they would then send them back to where they came from. See, it's a mistake to view the church as a hiding place from the world when we're called to change the world. Jesus said, your salt and your light. The world's dark because the church is dim. And so we're called to be this church. The church is the great hope of the world because it's God's chosen vehicle to bring his kingdom to mankind by winning souls, discipling believers, and transforming culture, or the world. So we're called, that's our little model here, reach, train, sin. Called to win souls, disciple believers, and then represent the kingdom of God in life, wherever we go in life, in the world. That's God's calling for every single believer. Point number two, the church, by the way, every person in Phoenix, Arizona that has received Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord is a part of the church. The church in the world consists of every believer in the world, even those that don't attend a local church. So every believer is a part of the church. It's important you think like that because we become so tribal so easy. You know, person. You know, we belong to this. The, the good thing about my upbringing was my parents were Lutherans, and then they got saved, <laughs> and then they. My dad got spirit filled, and we got spirit filled, and so we, we. I I grew up Lutheran, then we went to a non-denominational Pentecostal church, then I went to a four-square seminary, and then I was an AG pastor. And say, people say, Pastor, what are you? I said, I'm like a mutt. I'm a little bit of 10 different things. I don't have any pedigree, but I'm really loyal and loving. You don't have to, I'm not going to bite you, okay? And, and, and so the good thing, I, I've had kind of a wide exposure to things. And so I, I was talking with some friends. They were talking about, oh, about the lack of Christians in, in Phoenix. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I said, did you know there are 2 million Catholics in Arizona? And I said, don't you think there's a couple of them that are saved? The whole room got, a whole room of really prominent preachers. Oh, yeah. That's a possibility. we become so, you know, so kind of myopic in our vision. Well, there are hundreds of thousands of wonderful Christian Catholics. The same with Lutherans and Presbyterians and Methodists. Baptists. Whatever, whatever, there are people from all these different places. And then, you know, now we have a bunch of people that are just coming out of the world. Just, you know, a bunch of saved pagans. They're like, yeah! Praise God for the pagans. Point number two. The church is not a waiting room for believers until the rapture. The church is not a country club for the complacent. It's a heavenly designed training center for world shakers and history makers. <clears throat> my parents had a church in town. It's just the funniest story ever. It gets really cool, but my father was a businessman and, and my uncle and cousin got saved. They were like 19 and 20. They were hippies in the 60s. Long, one was a dope dealer, one was a musician. They were very popular people. And when they got saved, our living room suddenly is filled with 70 hippies. And my dad called every church in town and said, can I bring 70 hippies to church on Sunday? They all said no, unless the men cut their hairs, the boys cut their hairs, and the girls wear dresses. And my dad said, yeah, that's going to happen maybe in the future, but they're not quite there. So by accident, you know, by, by necessity, we started a church called New Life Chapel. It grew to about 600 hippies. So my childhood prayer was, Jesus, please don't make me marry a hippie. <laughs> you would pray that, too, if you grew up with 600 hippies. I've got some interesting stories. And, and so, you know, this, this amazing thing, miracle thing happened here, right here in town because the church was not ready for the harvest God was sending them. Oh. Okay. In Matthew 20, verse 16, Jesus said this phrase three times, but we'll, we'll quote it here twice. The last will be first, the first will be last. For many are called, but few are chosen. Matthew 22, 14, same verse, same words. Many are called, but few are chosen. Now, I heard that scripture massacred. <laughs> I heard that scripture given as an excuse for unfruitful ministry. Well, you know, we're small because many are called, fewer chosen. That's not what Jesus meant. Now, it may be true in that person. I'm not belittling small things. I've pastored small churches, big churches, middle-sized churches. I get all of that. But Jesus said something intentionally that had dynamic meaning in the ears, meaning in the ears of those that heard it. Because this statement, "many are called, fewer chosen," was an adaptation of the mission statement of the Roman army. The highest and most noble position a man could have at the time of Christ was to be a Roman soldier. And each year in the spring, every man in the Roman Empire was invited to try out for the Roman army from all across their massive empire. They would gather at a place called Campus Martius just outside of Rome, where they would be trained in every facet of a Roman soldier's combat and duty. While they're being trained by proven and experienced officers, they were also being watched and examined by leaders in the army. When a man successfully learned the many aspects of warfare, he would be tapped on the shoulder and said, you are chosen to be in the army. Everyone was called, but only those who developed the disciplines of, of war were chosen. Now, so here's what Jesus said. That's what the church is. The church is not a love, uh, uh, the church is not a vacation carnival cruise. The church is a training center. So there's a different mindset between being on vacation or being in boot camp. You know, on vacation I'll get up when I want to get up. I'll do what I want to do. I'll eat as many times as I want to. That's why I stopped going on cruises. you kidding me? It's like, it's like a, the worst place in the world for fat people. Run the cruise, they oh, there's a midnight buffet. Is this heaven? Oh, a midnight chocolate buffet. I've gone to heaven. Yeah. So, Jesus said, I'm building something and here's how it works. Everyone is invited into it, called. And as you grow in your calling, mature in the disciplines of my kingdom, the principles of my kingdom, you'll be chosen then for assignments being sent from my kingdom into the world to change things, to do things, to to manifest my will. So that's the place, that's, that's where we are in the church. So the church is a training center. So... So, we have to change our minds so so we 've all grown up in the system where we have clergy, paid professional ministers and laity, people that pay them and let them work for them. So in the clergy laity system i 'm the minister, and you pay me to do things ministry wise for you, but that 's not god 's plan god 's plan is that every believer is a minister. Ooh. Thank you 16 of you brave souls. Let's read some scriptures, okay? Ephesians chapter 4 and Jesus verse 11 gave Some people to be apostles, some people to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors, and some to be teachers. All of these five gifts, commonly called five-fold ministry gifts, are for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." So the ministry gifts are to develop your gifts. So every minister is called to be a coach, a mentor, a developer of other people. That's the assignment. So when people, I've had this maybe a few dozen times. Someone would come and say, Pastor, how come the church isn't doing this ministry? And I said, we were just waiting for you to show up. What do you mean? You're the minister? No, we're both the ministers. If you have the burden for it, you're supposed to do it. Don't put your burden on me and call it ministry. I'm going to do what God calls me to do. If it's stirred in your heart, you're supposed to do something about it. So if, uh, 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 I'm, I'm more delicate now about it, but people have come to me all over the years and say, Pastor, I need to come pray for my, my relative at the hospital. They're sick. And I've, I've been uh, hundreds of times to the hospital But I've said this a few dozen times. I said, I can't go this way. I'm out of town. And I say, you go. (laughs) Me? Me, little old me? You, You see, I don't have a big J and you a little tiny J. I don't have a big Holy Ghost and you a tiny little Holy Ghost. We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same Jesus. I say, take your sweaty hand. Lay it upon their fevered brow and say in the mighty name of Jesus be healed. That's, that's how it works. Now we don't mind. Pastor Kwame does it for us. all the, So we go to the hospital visit all the time. Many times there's complexity, evangelism, comfort, counsel, all kinds. I get that. But my point is this. we've The church has been handicapped from fulfilled purpose because we're not we're not attached to our original design. And our original design is everybody does something. See, Jesus and I'll talk about this in the weeks to come, but one of the comparisons to the church is we're the body of Christ. And Paul goes in the beautiful detail. We're all interconnected, interdependent, and we work together. So I've been in so many, I've been in hundreds and hundreds of hotel rooms. And so Um, I learned a secret, memorize the room before I go to sleep. Because if I have to get up in the middle of the night to go to the restroom, and I'm unfamiliar with the room, the chances of me speaking in tongues really loud is gonna happen. Because I might introduce my pinky toe to a piece of furniture in that room. And I have found the pinky toe hurts like crazy. When my pinky toe is hurting, my elbow's hurting. My ear's hurting. My eyebrows are vibrating. My whole body, goes, ah, what just happened? What just happened? I feel it all the way up to my head. And, and you see, we're a body. We feel each other's pain. We celebrate each other's victories. And we minister to each other. We minister to each other. We, we coordinate a beautiful connectedness of ministry. That's what the body of Christ is. So these five gifts... So here's a simple definition I came up with this week Apostles are builders. Now it's important because some of you come in a background where you were taught a, about, uh, about, about things ceasing, about cessationism, which teaches that these gifts have passed away, miracles have passed away. Uh, casting out demons passed away. Speaking in tongues passed away. Like, like all these things passed away, the Bible never says that. And there's such an exaggerated, contorted way to get to this. The Bible says Christ gave the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. On the earth today, there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. In this church, those guests are here. So it's important because when we, when we reject God's plan, we, we forfeit half of the agency of the equipping power of heaven to bless our lives. So we want it all. So apostles are builders. Prophets are revealers. Evangelists are gatherers. Pastors are nurturers. And teachers are instructors. Now that's really an oversimplification. But I wanted to walk into your mind, all of them are different. Okay? Like your hand, apostles, the thumb touches all the other fingers. Apostles coordinate the function of the hand. Pointing finger. Every finger has a, a purpose. The prophetic, etc. So, so these gifts are in the church to equip the church for what? work, work of ministry. Every, or to fulfill destiny to accomplish God's will and purpose for our lives. Can I have an amen? Amen. Let me go through them. First off, with the apostles. So this is really important because there is in the Bible another, in by using the word apostle, there is a rich heritage given to us of meaning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible says this, often the best way of interpreting something is through the Bible itself. The Bible interprets itself. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says, God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, gifts of healing, helps administrations, variety of tongues. So the idea of this, it's not, it's not first in importance, it's first in primary authority and responsibility. The apostle is not more important than the teacher, but the apostle, the apostle is accountable to God for the leadership of the other ministries. So I, I was talking with my son, Matthew, who was an all-state point guard for three years uh, in high school. And I said, you know, apostle is kind of like a point guard. And they develop all the other talent on the team. They recognize roles, and they help players fulfill it. They do things themselves, but the real sign of an apostle is the raising of ministries, the planning of churches, the equipping of other ministry gifts, etc." So God's appointment would give. Now, here's, here's something so wonderful when I found this a few years ago. It really expanded my understanding of the apostolic role. An apostle, Christ, you know, the 12 apostles, Paul expands it. But an apostle was a Roman army general. So when, he, when that word was used, it had a cultural connection and a meaning who was specifically trained and tasked to bring Roman culture to newly conquered regions of the Roman Empire. Roman law, architecture, culture was to be developed in these regions until they looked like Rome. So what did the apostle do? He took the ecclesia and changed the conquered areas to look like Rome. So when you travel across Europe, you'll find all the way in faraway places, Roman architecture still standing because that was one of the assignments of an apostle. Make these cities look like Rome. Make them think like Rome. Make the art express like Rome. Make the laws mimic Rome. So all parts of culture were to look like it. Now here's where it gets so exciting, because the 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 apostles' assignment is to transform regions to look like heaven. Thank you, three people. What what do you say? He said to us, "When you pray, pray like this." our father in heaven holy is your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth just like heaven whenever the kingdom transforms a region it makes it look like heaven now the earth is always going to be filled with all kinds of difficulties sinfulness heartache etc etc but whenever there's a breakthrough in someone's life a family, a business, a school, a city, a region, a village. Just whenever there's a breakthrough with kingdom principle being expressed and lives being changed, there, that place begins to look more like heaven. Come on. When the sick were being prayed for earlier in the service, we were looking like heaven. So that's God's desire to bring his kingdom, the rule of his son, to his kingdom into this world and through through our lives. So, so it begins, you know, righteousness, peace, and joy. The kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy. Internal virtues and values and beliefs, two of them, emotions. That the kingdom of God, when the kingdom of God rules in here, it can rule through my life. So, so the apostle was called to do that. And, and so it's, it's a big thing because a person with a real apostolic gift Um can be pastoral, they can be prophetic, they can have other kinds of expressions of that gift, but they're gonna, their whole life they're gonna wanna keep taking territory for Jesus. Their whole life. Come on. Number two, prophet. Ephesians 2.20 says this, having been built the church upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, Acts 11. Verse 27, in those days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and prophesied. So, New Testament prophets are called and anointed by God to reveal God's word and will to believers. Now, here's where it gets kind of exciting when it comes to prophets because we've had a resurgence of a rebirthing, a renewal, a restoration of prophetic ministry, which I'm so grateful for. So I grew up in our, my folks' church. My, my parents loved the prophetic, and we had literally like, like the who's who of prophetic people came to our church. So in the 60s, 70s, and yeah, 60s and 70s, when I was still in their church, um, the, the prophetic people we had who were famous people They all had the same traits. They were rude. They were rough. They were uncompassionate, if that's a word, not unloving. They were non-pastoral. And so everyone in the community, the church community, said, well, that's just the temperament of a prophet. But I'm like 14 years old. And I said, no, they're just jerks. I did, a, I did a prophetic conference a few months ago, and my, my, my sermon title was, Don't Be a Jerk. That didn't go over good there either. Well, what are you saying? Well, there's hardly anything more damaging to the body of Christ than an unhealthy person with a powerful prophetic gift. I, said, I mean, they just wreak havoc, because their gift is... There's legitimate anointing in it, but the, their toxic part of their soul defiles their gift, and it causes so much pain. So, the New Testament prophet. So, so I've heard so many people. Uh, uh, so, after the cross, prophets look different than the Old Testament. So, a New Testament prophetic person looks different than the Old Testament person. Come on. Prophet's so grouchy, the youngsters make fun of him for being bald. He commands bears to come out of the forest and eat them alive. And God did it. And if you're not careful, you'll, you'll move into the dark side and start commanding people to die because you think you're prophetic. But you're really functioning in witchcraft, sorcery, divination, and demonic powers. In the New Testament prophets are builders, the edifying of the church. Prophets work in conjunction with apostles. Every prophet that's not connected to a pastoral leader, an apostolic leader, almost always gets weird. Overbalanced. Why? Because they don't see things that are balanced. They're not called to. Everything's urgent. Everything's now. Everything's black and white. we got to do something. I know we do. Let's just pray. And we got to do it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Calm down. Anybody got some tape? Tape their mouth shut for a second. So the prophetic gift is important. It's essential. And prophetic, they reveal God's purpose. Number three, evangelist. So my parents, like I said, were, my, my dad was a deacon, in Abiding Savior Lutheran Church in South Scottsdale. And I think his name was Eldon Priest. A businessman came from Campus Crusade for Christ and was doing an after-church presentation. So morning church service, then Campus Crusade's there for this guy. Mr. Priest took our family through the four spiritual laws. My dad sat there. It was so clear. And he raised his hands to receive Christ as his Savior. He was, he was not saved even though he was in the church because the plan of salvation was never made clear to him. The same day my parents were saved, they went with that man on Scottsdale Boulevard to, to soul win. Because part of the assignment of an evangelist isn't just to save people, it's to make you hungry to be a soul winner too is to anoint you. Every believer in America should be a soul winner. And we need an evangelists. So part of now we're seeing a resurgence of evangelistic voices because we need them not to do all the work for us, but to stir the passion for souls in us, okay? And to give us all kinds of things. So it's important because some beautiful things are about to happen. So Evangelists are called and anointed by the Holy Spirit to win souls, equip believers, to do the same thing. Got to speed up. Pastors. So a pastor are called by the Holy Spirit to care, feed, and lead the local church. Pastors are essential to the discipling, maturing of believers. So 1 Peter 5 says this. To the elders that are among you, I exhort, also being a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, that are partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for money, uh, financial gain, but eagerly. Not being overlords over the people entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So in leadership, the best method of leadership is by example. Is by example. So pastors are encouraged to do it before you tell other people they should do it too. You with me? So whenever there is a dichotomous, whenever, whenever a preacher pretends to be some, something in public, he's not in private, he's like tearing his soul apart. He's creating a whole different world of pretension, dishonesty, and really sickness in his soul. So our job as pastors is to show by example how to follow Christ, how to love our wives, how to raise kids, how to, do, how to do life, okay? That's number one, leadership by example. And pastors are people in the church that have the gift of caring for people. So a, a pastoral person doesn't have to be a great preacher. They don't have to be a great... They just are a great encourager and lover of people and a great disciple of people, okay? And pastors... Are important. Our church is filled with beautifully pastoral hearted people. Lastly, teachers. Teachers are called by the Holy Spirit to receive revelation, the revelation and truth of God's word, and then systematically teach these principles to the church. So God's appointed the church, 1 Corinthians 12, apostles, prophets, thirdly, teachers. So teaching is important. Now, so what does a teacher do? A teacher, so a great example on our staff is Pastor Eddie. Where'd he go? There he is. I had to get close enough to see him. There he is. So Pastor Eddie is, he's real detailed. Pastor George is a great teacher too. So line upon line, just going through things. You with me? You know who's not like that? Me. You with me? I'm going, I'm going fast. (laughs) What's next? Ah, Come on, let's do this. So the prophetic side of me, you know, keeps pushing me in. So teachers help us get it right. You, You with me? It's one thing to be commanded, go learn how to drive. It's another thing to teach someone how to drive. So the teacher helps people grow in the practicum, the systematic understanding of God's word. It's so important because without, without kind of the proper dialogue of teachers in the voice of a local church, there will be, be always some kind of overbalance. Dr. McCray, one of the best teachers in the whole world we've ever had, okay? Great teacher. Same with Pastor Judy, great teachers. So we have people that genuinely have that gift. My, my, friend, my friend Bill Johnson is a great teacher, just so in depth. We were discussing how we write books, so I'm prophetic. So, so my gift would be, I'm an, I'm an apostolic prophet. When I leave this church, I'm, I'm known and, and I function in a prophetic gift, okay? So anyways, we're talking about writing books, and I'm finishing up my 20th book right now. And uh, so we're talking about writing books, and he said, well, he said, when I write a book, I probably go to 8, 10, 12 drafts of it. I said, what? He said, how do you write books? I write it. One time I walk away, it's done. I declare it prophetically, it's done. Someone edits all the, all the grammar. He looked at me like I was an alien. Huh, you do what? Yeah, because I'm not a teacher. That's you guys, all the detailed stuff. You do, I'm, ah, all right. it's done. Yeah, just really different gifts and how they're expressed. So all these gifts, I'm going to close with this. All these gifts are for the church. And they're for you. To to develop inside of you the destiny God created you for, the ministry you're called for. Amen? The church is not about preachers. It's about people. Ministry is not a pulpit. It's people. And this church, when I get to heaven... My standard of success will not be what I did. It will be what you did. What people did that were under the covering of the church. Did, I, did people grow? Did people fulfill purpose? Did people, did people have faith? Did they take mountains? That's the measurement. And, and we're coming back to it. We're coming back to God's order. Amen. I've already gone too long. Wes, giving me this. No, stop. Sorry. So I'm stopping right now. I can't see the clock, but I'm stopping. Hey, thank you for listening to me. Would you please stand your feet?